This episode of Tales from Ostlantis is brought to you by Ostlantis Premium. Don't you just hate having your favorite podcast interrupted by ads like this? Well, dear listener, you're in luck. Because starting at just three bucks a month, you can support independent Chicano media and receive ad-free episodes, premium episodes, bonus content, and access to our Discord server. Just visit talesfromastlantis.com and click Go Premium, or follow the link in the show notes. And now, on with the show. You must excuse me. I've grown quite queer. This hasn't been easy, I know. But you've learned a lesson. A lesson in honesty. Honesty to yourself and honesty to others. That lesson will stand you in good stead all your life. I think we've all learned a good lesson. I've always heard that honesty is the best policy. Now I'm catching on to why that's so, to why that's so, to why that's so, to why that's so. Greetings, dear listeners, and welcome to yet another episode of Tales from Astlantis. We are your hosts, Curly Tlapoyawa. And Ruben Ariano Tlacateca. So what is up, man? How you doing? You know, just uh, doing the things. Yeah, I see your cool shirt. Yeah, that, uh, yeah. Is that, is it says that, "Viva uh, la raza." I got this over at the um, the recent uh, production by Caramia here in Dallas of uh, Crystal City. Nice that they did back uh, a few months ago, and um, got this and that's shirt. An image of uh, Jose, Jose Gutierrez, and then it's got uh, you can see like the silhouettes of uh, marchers with their hands up and their fists clenched, doing the the brown Chicano power. Simple. Yeah, that's a dope shirt. And uh, yeah, they they had these for sale at the uh, at the event. Nice. And uh, they had another t shirt too that I got. That it's it, this is a black one with with the image, and then the other one is a white t shirt that says Chicano Power, and it's got like the the head of uh, I think it's Quetzal, it's supposed to be Quetzalcoatl. I think I need to go back and double check. It's been a minute. Um, and so that one's just all white and says Chicano Power. Nice, badass. Yeah, I'm also representing. I got my uh, my Aslan Libre Press uh, right official on. T-shirt that I'm rocking. So shout out! Yeah, shout out to Aslan Libre yeah, Press absolutely. and uh, Juan Tejeda and his wife Anissa. So, what else is new? What's happening? Uh, in your neck of the woods. Same old, you know. It's grilling season has begun, so we uh, had some friends over, and I threw on some T-bones and. Just had a nice day yesterday. It was some T bones with some green chili. You know, we didn't have any green chili with it. Um, oh no, you ain't you ain't a true New Mexican. <laughs> well, I mean, we don't eat it with everything. No <laughs> <laughs> hey, you could have fooled me, man. Last time I was there, even my daughter's like, "I'm tired of all this green chili. It's in everything." <laughs> it's true. It's true. That's 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 the New Mexican state. <laughs> Absolutely. So this uh, today's episode, um, it's it's one I've been wanting to do for a while because um, this this story just fascinates me. And um, uh, for this episode, I'm going to be drawing a lot from this book. It's a really good book called "Freak Show: Presenting Human Oddities for Amusement and Profit" by Robert Bogdan. If people are interested, mm. I'll. Uh, I'll throw a link to the where you could buy the book in the show notes. 
Um, but it's a really good book, and this is just something that I've been wanting to talk about for a while. So, so when you say freak show, Curly, are we talking about the creatures of the night? Because you know the freaks come out at night. <laughs> the freaks come out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then you know uh, I used to be a big fan of the. Well, I still am a big fan, but I was also used to be a big fan of the nineteen thirty. I think it's nineteen thirty one film Freaks by uh, Todd Browning. Mm. That's, uh, that's an yeah, amazing movie. that's like the one that kicked it off, right? Like the whole genre. Yeah, that's uh, it's a really and and it's a good movie too. It's well made. Um, right for the time yeah, too, yeah, right? Like, absolutely that's amazing what they were able to pull off with that movie. So let's dive right in to today's episode: the last of the Aztecs. Ding, ding, ding. What would you say if I told you that the transatlantic slave trade never happened? That the mass enslavement of African people who had been brutally kidnapped in Africa and brought to the Americas in chains was all a hoax perpetrated by Native Americans working together with white settlers to cover up the fact that black people are the true original inhabitants of the Americas. Well, Curly, I would say that you're out of your goddamn mind is what I would say. And you would be right. Claiming that the transatlantic slave trade never happened is despicable and deserves to be met with the same disdain and co condemnation as denial of the Jewish Holocaust. But sadly... The transatlantic slave trade is a hoax conspiracy is being actively pushed by a small but growing subset of black identity extremists who are both highly vocal and increasingly hostile to native people, who the extremists view as the beneficiaries of a stolen identity. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, for simpli simplicity's sake... I will refer to the collective members of this group as the Aboriginalist Movement. For the most part, these groups share a common lineage from the Moorish Science Temple, a black identity religious movement established in Newark, New Jersey in 1913 by a self-declared prophet calling himself Noble Drew Ali. Modern-day followers of this movement have blended sovereign citizen conspiracies, black identity extremism, and pseudo-historical narratives resulting in a bizarre mashup of racial conspiracism. The so-called evidence presented by members of the aboriginalist movement consists almost entirely of misinterpretations of the historical record simply because they don't understand the context of what they're looking at, and deliberate misrepresentations of the historical record by cherry-picking antiquated and long-disproven information that appears to support their claims. In other words, there is zero evidence to back up their assertions. Nonetheless, they remain undeterred. Now, I'm not going to delve into every bit of pseudo-history promoted by the Aboriginalist movement, but I do want to focus on one topic in particular. Maximo and Bartola, also known as the Aztec Children, or the Last of the Aztecs. One of the more common practices of those in the Aboriginalist movement is this continued promotion of photographs from the late 1800s depicting two people identified as 
the last of the Aztecs. These photos feature two individuals, Maximo and Bartola, who are both of diminutive stature and display unusual physical characteristics. They are often dressed in clothing intended to appear exotic to Western audiences. Aboriginalists love to use these photographs because the individuals in them, the alleged last of the Aztecs, appear to be at least partially black and both sport Afro-style hairdos. To the Aboriginalists, these photos are the smoking gun that proves their claim. You see, if the last of the Aztecs were black, then black people must be the true indigenous people of the Americas. It's a very convoluted and disturbing conspiracy, to say the least. This, of course, is pure nonsense. But we're left with the question, and it's the question I want to explore in this episode. Who were the individuals in these photos? What's their story? And why are they referred to as the last of the Aztecs. The Aztec Children. The alleged discovery of the Aztec children is retold in a short pamphlet published in 1850, the title of which is worth quoting in full, sir, if you would be so kind. We'll be back after a quick break. Have you picked up your Mexica calendar for the year 12 Flint? Or how about a paperback copy of The Four Disagreements? Just visit TalesFromAstlantis.com for all the latest merchandise and show some love for your favorite podcast. That's TalesFromAstlantis.com for all the latest merchandise. Now, back to the show. Quote, Memoir of an Eventful Expedition in Central America resulting in the discovery of the idolatrous city of Ishimaya in an unexplored region and the possession of two remarkable Aztec children, descendants and specimens of the sacerdotal caste, now nearly extinct, of the ancient Aztec founders of the ruined temples of that country. Described by John L. Stevens Esquire and other travelers. Translated from the Spanish of Pedro Velasco de San Salvador. That's a title. That's a title. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Before that we continue, is... like, I don't know. Um, when when I read the name Bartola, um, um, it, for some reason, it kind of reminds me of that commercial. You know which commercial I'm talking about? The the cough drop commercial. Bartola. <laughs> no. God damn it. Too soon. Too soon. <laughs> I knew. As soon as you said that, I knew what you were going to do. <laughs> I'm just a child. I'm sorry. So the pamphlet begins with the introduction of Mr. Huertas and Mr. Wait, Hammond. is Huertas, is that men, supposed to be like, are they, are they trying to say Huerta, like Mr. Huerta? I don't that's know. that's what it kind of I mean, sounds it's like too, to me, right? It's two fictional people, so. Okay. I think, so these are fictionalized yeah, people. Got it, name. got it. Yeah, yeah. So this it's the pamphlet that's, you know tells the story of the discovery right, of the Aztec right. children. So it's all fiction. Uh, the pamphlet begins with the introduction of Mr. Huertas and Mr. Hammond, two men who are supposedly the only ones capable of reaching the mythical Maya city of Ishimaya, located somewhere in Chiapas. 
The narrative traces their journey from Belize to Ishimaya, with Senor Pedro Velázquez of San Salvador as their guide. Velázquez keeps a manuscript journal of their journey, and this journal was purportedly translated into the pamphlet mm -hmm. with that really yeah, long name. Yeah, yeah. So in the pamphlet, the discovery of Ishimaya is described along with the finding of two small children, the only remaining members of an ancient and singular order of priesthood called Kanas. Hmm. I think that's how it's, hmm. it's made. Yeah. Right. Kanas. K-A-A-N-A-S. The Ishimayans venerate them as living specimens of an antique race so nearly extinct. The legend of the Mayas of Ishimaya killing all white intruders is also upheld in this account, and only Velasquez leaves alive, kidnapping the Cana sister and brother and returning to El Salvador. Velasquez describes the children as diminutive in stature and imbecile in intellect. You know how many times I've been called that? <laughs> but they are also referred to as the greatest ethnological curiosities in living form as specimens of an absolutely unique and nearly extinct race of mankind that they claim the attention of physiologists and all men of science. Impressive. Right? The pamphlet describes how Velázquez sends the children who are 8 and 10 years old to the United States to be exhibited as specimens of this almost lost race. While details of their early life are scarce, it is generally believed that Maximo and Bartola were siblings of mixed indigenous African and European heritage who suffered from microcephaly and severe intellectual disability. And for listeners who don't know, microcephaly actually kind of made a comeback um, not too long ago. Remember the Zika virus in Brazil? Mm -hmm. The mosquitoes were biting people, I guess, pregnant women. If they got bit by this mosquito, they would get the Zika virus. And one of the um, outcomes of this disease was they were having children born with microcephaly. Right. Wow. And... Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty wild. And and it basically it shrinks their heads, like it makes their heads really really tiny. So is this evidence of there being some kind of um sort of uh, virus at play here with the, the with the Aztec, the lost Aztec children of the Canas? Yeah, I don't know what causes this specific strain of microcephaly. If we have any listeners out there that are virologists or uh, biologists, Please uh, contact us and let us know. Um, and then, you know, it also, be, because of the size of their head, um, they have these, this severe intellectual disability, right? Mm -hmm. So they're basically helpless. Uh, they were born in the province of San Miguel in El Salvador. A Spanish trader named Ramon Selva purchased the children from their mother. He had promised her that he would take them to the United States where they could be cured of their condition, which is so fucked up. That's one of the, it's such a horrible thing to do to human mm, beings. Right. But once he had possession of the children, he immediately sold them as human curiosities to an American named Morris. 
Why is it always to- Morris? You know, this thing? Morris is <laughs> like whenever there's something nefarious involved in, in, in these kinds of tales, there's always a Morris. Is there? I don't know. Yeah. Well, it's Maurice, <laughs> Morris. Uh, but it's always a variation on a theme of Morris. All I think of is uh, Morris Day in the Time when I hear <laughs> the name Morris. <laughs> Morris. <laughs> oh, wee oh, wee oh. Morris, <laughs> Morris took advantage of public interest in ancient Mesoamerica and lost civilizations by publishing the previously mentioned 48-page pamphlet with that ludicrously long title that recounted the completely fabricated origin story of Maximo and Bartola as being discovered in a temple in the lost city of Ishimaya. Ishimaya, yeah, yeah. I wonder where they came up with that name. The pamphlet served as the perfect promotional material, and the children's physical attributes were exploited in order to build them as remarkable Aztec children, descendants and specimens of sacerdotal caste, the nearly extinct of the ancient Aztec founders of the ruined temples of that country. Morris and others compared their look as strikingly similar to engravings in Stevens' Incidents of Travel in Central America, Chiapas, and Yucatan of ancient Mayas depicted in stone within various Maya ruins. It is unclear why these children were referred to as Aztec rather than Maya, Mm -hmm. but presumably Aztec was being used to mean, you know, pre-Columbian Mexico in general, as was common in the 19th century. Right. Dressed in pseudo-Aztec costumes, the Aztec children first appeared in the United States in the early 1850s to an electrified American public and medical community. The mayor of Boston attended and promoted an early appearance of the children. They were brought before the Boston Society of Natural History, and papers about them appeared in subsequent years in medical journals, such as the American Journal of the Medical Sciences and The Lancet. Good grief. Members Mm. of the Senate and House of Representatives met with Maximo and Bartola, and they were invited to the White House to meet President Millard... Millard Fillmore? Fillmore, yeah. Yeah. There has to be photos of that somewhere. There right? has of to be. Of this meeting. Uh, in 1853, they were taken to England, where they were billed as the Aztec Lilliputians. I think it's Lilliputians. Lilliputians? Or is it Lilliputians? Is it? I don't know. I don't know. I've always, like in my head, I've always pronounced it as Lilliputians. But really? Yeah. yeah. You know what? I've never heard. I know there has to be like a movie version of Gulliver's Travels, right? Where they say the word out loud but i've only is. ever read maybe it. that's where i heard it actually because I, I do remember seeing that movie when i was a kid and maybe it's just kind of one of those things that just kind of sticks in your head and you don't know mm-hmm. why and that's probably why well i'll uh i'll concede you uh the pronunciation aztec lilliputians and for anybody who doesn't know what we're talking about there's a book called Gulliver's travels yeah and uh he wakes up in uh uh Lilliput, right? That, I think so. Yeah, the, the yeah. And he he wakes right. up in, and everybody's tiny, right? And so he's like a giant to these people. Exactly. So they were exhibited at the Ethnological Society, 
and met the royal family at Buckingham Palace before continuing a tour of Europe and meeting with other royal families. Hmm. And this is what blew my mind. In, in the book, uh, Freak Show by Robert Bogdan, I, I meant to put this in the script, but uh, he goes on and, and he lists like all of the places that they were taken. And it's wild because, you know, apparently they were taken all over Europe and met with like royal families in Russia, in, in Paris. Uh, here it is. The pair toured the continent appearing before the Emperor Napoleon and Napoleon. his imperial family in Whoa. Paris, the Emperor of Russia and his family, the kings and queens of Prussia, Bavaria, Holland, Hanover, and Denmark, the, en the Emperor of Austria and his family, the King of Belgium, the Count of Flanders, the Duchess of Brabant, and other members of royal families and noted natural scientists and philosophers. Wow. Yeah, so this this guy Morris like just re was really taking advantage of uh the story he had concocted. Yeah. And basically exploiting these these poor kids, you know? I mean, that's what they born. were, right? I mean, they were yeah, they were yeah. children. Yeah, yeah. At the time when they first took them out, they were they were still children. It's it's mind blowing. After returning from their European tour, the Aztec children were employed by P. T. Barnum. Of course, they yeah right. They were first exhibited at the American Museum in New York City and eventually joined the Barnum and Bailey Circus, touring until the eighteen nineties. Hmm. Maximo and Bartola's story illustrates the negative impact of American and British post-colonial attitudes towards Mesoamerica. Following Spain's removal in the 1820s, there was increased exploration and study of the region and its ancestral archaeological sites. European scholars sought to unravel the mysteries of the ancient cities, disregarding the possibility that indigenous peoples of Mesoamerica could be the direct descendants of these civilization's builders. Right, it's like, well, these native people couldn't have possibly built these massive structures. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that's they're basically um, planting those seeds that will later blossom into the ancient aliens nonsense. Uh, in his book *Romancing the Maya: Mexican Antiquity in the American Imagination*, R. Trip Evans Evans describes Evans Evans R. Trip yeah. Evans describes the cultural climate. Attempting to reconcile the coexistence of pre-Columbian civilization with ancient cultures of the Old World, authors either implicitly or explicitly linked the two, discrediting ethnic continuity in Latin America as well as accounts of parallel creation, proposing various theories of transatlantic migration, early writers on Mexican antiquities supported the commonality of man's descent from the old world and assistance that justifies Mexico's cultural colonization in the wake of Spain's departure. So that's the, this, this is kind of like the early, early justifications of why it was okay for the Europeans, for the Spanish and later the French, the English, the Dutch, etc., to 
make their way to the Americas and uh, mm-hmm. colonize, subjugate, oppress, commit genocide, uh, rape and plunder uh, the indigenous people and the land. Because, hey, those people are yep. just, you know, they're us, but from an earlier time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're just ba- more, more primitive. primitive. And, right? you know, that's funny because when I was in, in, in college, um, when I took uh, my first philosophy course um, and we were reading John Locke and, and his ideas of natural man, and, 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 you know, I'm sitting in class and I'm thinking, why does this remind me so much of Native American, you know, descriptions of Europeans of Native Americans? And my instructor at the time was actually a graduate student. He wasn't a full professor. Um, he was a graduate student who was basically kind of like doing his, um, uh, I'm blanking out on what it's called now, but when, when a graduate student does their uh, their training, right? Kind of like the, the, they teach a class. There's a name for it, I'm forgetting. And so he didn't have an answer for me when I asked him, hey, why is it that John Locke's ideas about natural man are so reminiscent of those dis- early descriptions of native people in the Americas? And he wasn't able to put one and one together. And it's later on, you know, after further studies over the years, but I was already making the the argument back then that essentially what John Locke was doing, he was taking Mm -hmm. those early references to native people that were coming back from those early writings and and from Spain and, and others. And he was constructing his idea of what it meant to be, uh, um, a natural man and he was getting these ideas from those descriptions of native people right and so he was saying and, and so if you if you you know tie it back to this what he was saying is essentially those people are our ancestors that's how we used to be those people over there in the americas those yeah those yeah. naturales as they call them those natural men natural people meaning people of the earth but also meaning people who are simple we don't have the complexity of culture and society yeah. and all the stuff that we Europeans now have evolved into over the generations. That's who we used to be back then, all those, you know, millennia ago. And so what he was saying is that they're essentially a mirror of who we are. But because, you know, we as humans, we we hate what we see sometimes when we look in the mirror Europeans saw native people and they saw themselves as they used to be and they hated it. They hated us or they hated our our ancestors for the fact mm. that we were reflecting back yeah, to them what yeah. they used to be, where they came from originally. It's deep <laughs> philosophical. I'm getting deep here, man. <laughs> <laughs> Suffice it to say, um the Europeans had pro- issues. Mm, that's uh, putting it mildly. <laughs> But I digress. In, uh, in 1884, P.T. Barnum launched the Ethnological Congress of the Barnum and London Circus. This exhibit showcased people from various ethnicities, often with microcephaly or some other physical disorder, from around the world as objects for a primarily white audience to observe, like human zoos, mm-hmm. basically. Examples of the attractions on display included Zulu warriors, princess and child, 
a band of Nubians from Sudan, and look at the way they spelled Sudan, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. genuine Hindu notch dancers. What is that? I don't know. And then look at the way they spell Hindu as well. Yeah. Two O's. Uh, yeah. And the Aztecs of ancient Mexico. So basically taking people with some sort of physical disability, some some level of cognitive disability, uh, who looked exotic, dressing them mm-hmm. up in costumes yeah. and saying, you know, like pay a nickel or whatever it was mm-hmm. at the time to come look, to come gawk at, you know, the ancient Hindus and the ancient Aztecs and stuff. It's... But isn't that kind of what Ma- Matthew Restall is saying in his book when Montezuma met Cortez? And uh, if I remember correctly, he's he's saying that that because you know um, the Aztecs had pretty much the the first zoo uh, that we know of on record. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you remember this uh, from the book, but uh, I think at one point he was saying. That the only way that you can really explain, well, not the only way, but like a one way that you can explain some of the actions that, that you know, Montecuzoma took in regards to the Spanish, allowing them to come into the city and showing them around and treating them, you know, with the, the dignity that a uh, foreign uh, ambassador deserves and mm-hmm. yeah, that sort of stuff, right? That That part of what he was saying was that he was also at the same time, like trying to see how he could sort of fit them into his, his menagerie menagerie <laughs> of exotic peoples because you know what the kusama he he had a people with, with microcephaly was part of his retinue uh you know different dwarfism di- dwarfism different people who perform different kind of acrobatic acts and all this stuff and mm-hmm. and so i think what what restall was saying was that he was trying that motekusoma was trying to see how he could sort of capture these Spanish people as being these exotic folk and sort of somehow put them, put them display. in display and be part of his that's palace, wild, right? Yeah. Like that, That's kind of what's going I'd on here in a different that. way. Yeah. But it's very yeah, kind of in, similar in to way. what's going on. It just cracks me up because I could picture them like, um, you know, Cortez hanging with uh, <laughs> Motexoma and, and they're going through and right. like, well, here we have this. Here we have this, and the yeah, Spaniards yeah, yeah. are like, oh, wow, wow. And then they come right. to like a giant empty And what's this? <laughs> That's for you, fool. And throw them in there. <laughs> yep. That would have been awesome. Yeah, if only. During and after the Aztec children's rise to fame, other individuals born with microcephaly were being exhibited as Aztecs in circuses, copying the look and myths of Maximo and Bartola. People with microcephala, microcephala, <laughs> people with microcephaly began to be referred wait, wait, to as. Is, you know, is, is that like the difference between um, what's that old running joke my, my nieces used to say in regards to um, Harry Potter? It's not. Uh, Liviosa, it's Liviosa. <laughs> <laughs> Microcephala. Microcephala. It sounds like a Harry Potter. <laughs> it sounds like a Harry Potter <laughs> spell. <laughs> no, wait. The the, the 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 Harry Potter spell is Aslantis Propagantis. Don't forget that. Yeah, that's yeah. that's the spell. Yeah, it's the spell we cast when we're spreading our propaganda through mm, the airwaves. That's airways. right. Aslantis propagantis. Sources say. <laughs> People with microcephaly begin to be referred to as pinheads, 
and other famous acts include Tic Tac the Aztec Pinhead, hmm. uh, Zip, also referred to as What Is What it? Is It? And Schlitzy the Pinhead, who became famous. Schlitzy's probably the most famous um, performer with microcephaly. Uh, Schlitzy became famous for his appearance in the classic horror film Freaks, which we were talking about at the top of the show. Robert the Aguirre describes racial exhibitions in the mid to late 19th century. Freak shows depended on a supply of curiosities from abroad, which in turn provided racial theorists with new specimens to analyze. Racial characterizations were then funneled back into the materials purveyed by freak show promoters, lending them an air of respectability and further securing scientific to mass culture. Ethnology gained access to rare specimen and racial ideology was disseminated to a broad public. Hmm. It's nuts. The Aztec children were not only sold into a life of sideshow performance, but they were also subjected to medical tests and ethnological examinations and cranial measurements in order to study their racial traits. The scientific community eventually discredited the pamphlets and Barnum's assertion of their origins, right, as the last of the Aztecs of so this pure Wait, race. Wait, so, so, so the scientific community says, you know, Barnum, we've had enough of this story that you're pushing about these pure people. Let's go ahead and prod them again. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's like they're not yeah, questioning their own them tactics. To more. They're like, we're going to exactly. question the story behind it, but guess what? You know, we're still going to continue with our scientific prodding and probing. Yeah. Like, what? Of these poor exploited Jeez. So, despite their racial status lowered to that of mestizos, they continued to draw crowds at Barnum's Circus until fading into obscurity near the turn of the century. Maximo vanishes from the historical record after 1885, and Bartola was last documented in the early 20th century performing as the last living Aztec in Germany. Wow. From the 1820s to the 1850s, a considerable number of pre-Columbian objects were taken from Mesoamerica, a practice which also involved the trafficking of humans, mm -hmm. as illustrated by the mm -hmm. narrative of Maximo and Bartola. The Aztec children were not the only anomalies showcased to American and European spectators, but rather part of a broader pattern of assembling and exhibiting human and material artifacts in museums, circuses, and freak shows. This pattern involved the theft and exploitation of cultural heritage, not only for entertainment purposes, but also for scientific and economic gain. So, at its core, getting back to the aboriginals, the aboriginalist movement is a hateful ideology rooted in pseudo-historical racial fantasy. Its goal is to erase the indigenous cultural inheritance of the Americas and eliminate the sovereignty of indigenous nations. By further exploiting images of Maximo and Bartola and presenting their invented origins as fact, aboriginalists also erase Maximo and Bartola's painful, authentic history. What was done to them was despicable 
inhuman, and in my opinion, unforgivable. They were callously exploited by greedy con artists who paraded them across the globe and fraudulently presented them as the last living examples of a long-lost civilization. So no, Maximo and Bartolo were most certainly not the last of the Aztecs. Rather, they were unfortunate victims whose images are once again being exploited by opportunistic con artists in order to advance a racist, pseudo-historical fantasy. I say it's time we let them rest in peace. It's quite a story. Yeah, you know what? And reading this book, um, I, I actually I didn't expect to get as angry as I got doing mm-hmm. the research for this episode. Like because there's photos of Maximo and Bartola, and you just look at them and it's like, God damn, man, they were, you know, just prodded and and put on display for people yeah. to to come and gawk at, and with this invented history, and then the whole story, you know, the way that dude told their mom, like, oh yeah, I could take them to America and they could be cured, right? Yeah. And just to be sold into this this life of uh, exploitation, mm-hmm. it's, right. uh, it really pissed me off. Yeah, it's, it's very, very troubling. And um, I mean, you don't really hear about this happening today, but I mean, to what, I mean, just thinking back growing up, like going to like a carnival or going to like a, you know, a fair and, and seeing like the, the freak show. Mm-hmm. Um, amusement, um, sort of not, it's not a ride, but it's like a, what, what do you call it? What's the difference between the ride and, and the thing that you go in and, and like the fun house, like a fun house yeah. type, of, type of situation. And, you know, just thinking back to, to, to that whole history of the freaks and, you know, the, the, the bearded woman mm-hmm. and, you know, the, the half, half fish, half this and that, half yeah, monkey, yeah. you know, the mermaid, the, there's the mermaid and all this stuff. And, 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 and there's like a long tradition and, and these lost Aztec or the last of the Aztec children, Maximum Bartola, were just part of that, that sort of freak show, you know, that, 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 that freak show community that was being exploited by people like P.T. Barnum and, and other people who were just, Looking to make a buck, right? Um, you know, wasn't it P.T. Barnum who's cre- uh, credited as as um, coming up with uh, with the phrase that there's a sucker born every minute? Yeah, there's a. And sucker so born this every- is one way that they would they would make their money. They would convince people that they would come up with a nice little story about uh, a supposed freak or the last this or the anomaly anomalous that, and they would charge people, you know, to go in and to gawk at these human beings right that are Mm -hmm. being you know taken advantage of but the flip side of that is that some of these people because of their deformities because of their um disabilities they didn't really have any other options and some of them like they survived and they depended on Mm -hmm. being taken advantage of at these kinds of freak shows for their own, you know, uh, well-being and 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 just yeah. even earn a living. So it yeah, was yeah. it's one of those double-edged sword things. And so the question is, um, were th- these children b- better off having stayed with their mother and having suffered uh, a life of misery? Not that they didn't suffer when they were being prodded and exhibited and and tested and all that. But it seems to me, and I'm not making an argument in favor of this, but it seems to me that that 
you know, not that it was better morally, but maybe in in some way they 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 had a different lifestyle that they would not have enjoyed had they stayed with their mother. I mean, that's because I've, I've heard these kinds of arguments mm-hmm. before. Now, how do we relate this back to to what these people are doing today? It's it, like you were saying, it's another form of exploitation. Now these people are saying, well, you know, because it goes back to the, the the conversation that we've been having on this podcast off and on about these people that are trying to deny the indigeneity of actual Native American people whose ancestors you know, have been here on these continents for millennia. And, and for whatever reason, I mean, I'm not going to question their, their motives in terms of them wanting to sort of correct past ills, which, you know, that, that's something that is, that is uh, commendable, but when you're doing it at the expense of a different group, and then you're taking it to the, the lengths and the degrees that you're taking it to, deny the indigeneity mm-hmm. of those people and sort of claim it for yourself um then uh, that's you know you're going way past you know the too far line i mean you've yeah. exceeded the you've gone too far to the extreme far uh, end of that of that argument if you want to argue for self-determination if you want to argue for equality if you want to argue for being respected as a human being you know you don't have to make up stories. You don't have to rob someone else's culture and claim it as your own. You know, be proud of your own culture, assert that culture for yourself, and then try to right the wrongs that, that happened to your people uh, using the available mechanisms that don't impinge on someone else's history yeah, and, exactly. and, and lives and, and, and their own cultures. And so I don't understand this necessity by these people to try to to assert a culture and claim it for themselves that historically speaking i mean on the face of it even if you know nothing about history it just is preposterous like who yeah. believes these people right yeah well one of their hashtags is like hashtag where are the slave ships and their whole argument is like well if if the transatlantic slave trade was real then they would be you know tons of slave ships all over and and where are they it's really bizarre like if you yeah. go on i you know going down the rabbit hole of exploring these groups and their just their beliefs and i was exposed initially to maximo and bartola like i always knew about the freak shows and people mm-hmm, microcephala mm-hmm. being microcephala i'm doing Cephala. it again cephaly <laughs> being put on um on display but I didn't know about Maximo and Bartola specifically, right? Mm-hmm. And then a few years back, I get this message on on Facebook, and it's a screen grab from one of those shitty YouTube documentaries that, you know, it's all conspiracy uh, documentary style. And it had pretty high production values, so I think it made more people take it seriously than... I than call those fake documentaries, they ain't yeah, real yeah, documentaries. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was a screen grab and it was a photograph of Maximo and Bartola. And it had the caption that said, you know, the last of the Aztecs. Uh-huh. And you could tell by looking at Maximo and Bartola that they're mixed blood. Right. right. They have like Afro style hair. And, exactly. Uh, and, and 
you know, they were using this as like the smoking gun. Mm-hmm. They're like, ha ha, here's a photo that actually says the last of the Aztecs. So, you know, <laughs> where's your God now? <laughs> right. And the fact that this was completely concocted by white people has no bearing on their argumentation at all, right? Yeah, like, it was a circus sideshow. And they were using this as proof. And so I looked at this picture and I'm like, well, this is weird. And so... I don't know. It took me literally 15 minutes of poking around the internet to yeah. come up to find their names, exactly. to find their backstory, to right. find where they came from. And so I compiled all that information and I sent it to the person who uh, who had sent me the uh, the screen grab. Uh-huh. And they're like, all right, well, yeah, I was just trying to make sure, bro. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say that they were trying to push back on on your research and say, "Well, that's what you say," but you yeah, know, come yeah. up with some weird rationalization why they they continue to justify believing in yeah that would have been that thing yeah that would um, have been yeah. unfortunate. And um, I wanted to read this other quote from this book, uh, "Freak Show" by Robert Bogdan. Um, it says. During their lifetime and after their deaths, a host of other people with microcephaly and below normal intellectual functions were exhibited by showmen as, quote unquote, Aztecs. All borrowed their presentations, their costumes, as well as their stories from the fabrication that had created the celebrated Maximo and Bartola. In typical showman fashion, a number of such copies even claimed to be the originals. Hmm. Even while Maximo and Bartola were still appearing, a man and a woman with microcephaly were displayed together in the 1880s as the Aztecs. Whether And it's at Aztecs, E-S-T-I-C-S, the Aztecs. Hmm. Uh, whether the spelling was a mistake or merely an attempt to be original is not clear, but they traveled with the Cooper and Jackson Circus as Huddy and Tane, wearing serapes and indigenous South American style clothing. A woman with microcephaly was exhibited in the 1880s as Rosie, the wild girl of the Yucatan. Another 19th century Aztec-derived exhibit was a young man with microcephaly who traveled with the Wallace Circus and was presented as the Mexican wild boy. Huh. So you have people who suffer from microcephaly and they're being taken advantage of through the freak show circuit, through these various circuses and uh, carnivals, right? Are they just all following the Maximo Bartola template because it's something that worked and so they're just going to continue to say these people are Aztec. But think about that. Why would the original, you know, Aguirre, why would he call them Aztecs? What does that say about his association with Aztecs and people who he himself described as being not only diminutive, but as also being uh, basically dumb, right? Is what he's saying. These people are dumb, they're they're dumb. They have their low IQ. Um, they they can't really think for themselves. Why would he call these people Aztecs? Out of all the names that he could come up with, he goes to Aztecs. Like yeah. I don't know. Was there yeah. some kind of opinion yeah. at the time that we know of? I mean, I haven't done this kind of deep research on this, but it got me thinking. Like, what was going on at the time? Well, if we look at it, right, Mexican American War, eighteen forty eight. 
all these American soldiers saw like all these, you know, temples and ruins, you know, quote unquote ruins. I hate using that word, but archaeological sites and all these indigenous people. And so they came back, I think, to the United States with these stories of like, holy shit, it's amazing over there. Right. And I think you can't tell white people that that uh, these brown people have all this amazing shit. So it, it piqued the American interest in like, oh, there's like all these lost civilizations. I mean, these modern people are not them, obviously, <laughs> descendants of them. But we need to go explore, you know, because at the time it was huge to have um, woodcut prints <clears throat> and illustrations of uh, the Teocalis uh, printed in magazines and newspapers and stuff. And there was like this this thirst for adventure and these exotic locations. And I think it, it, it helped do a couple of things, in my opinion. It, it satiated this thirst for, uh, you know, wanting to learn more about the world. But it also allowed them to be like, here's this exotic uh, lost civilization, but they're obviously inferior, right? They're, they're, they're inferior to us. So we can, you know, we can gawk at them and, and pay money to see them and, and have this romanticized vision of the past. But when you see them in person, it's obvious that we're superior, right? Because people with microcephaly are, you know, they're tiny and they're not very strong and they're just, <clears throat> they have all of these physical uh, limitations. And so it, it allows them to, it, it, it basically, it upholds white supremacy, right? To be like, this is what the Aztecs were. You know, and this is why we beat them so easily in, in Mexico. But I guess what I'm, I'm trying to get at is it's not like there were, weren't any actual indigenous communities around yeah. at the time. I mean, we know there were because they still exist today. Newsflash. And so, like, people that had actually traveled to Mexico and there was a lot of traveling going on. Uh, it's, you know... It, it's nothing new. It didn't start in, you know, in this century or the last century. It's been going on since the 19th century. And people that travel there, they understand who these indigenous people are. Now, maybe the majority of the people who were going to these shows, to the circus and whatnot, to see the, the freak shows and to gawk at Maximo and Bartola had never been to Mexico. But you have to also, like consider like did these people actually think that these were aztec people was is there no no evidence of microcephaly in in the non brown community non black community like is are there no white microcephaly uh, people out there yeah so like did they actually believe it or was it just a goof right they were just having fun they're like were, did, oh, look, were they just the having aztecs, fun with it you know yeah so that's i mean i think that's what i'm trying to get at like what 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 is it i mean cuz you know, white supremacy is always baked into every single one of these, you know, conversations about the 19th century and colonialism and the, that have to do with Europeans and Americans. So that's kind of like a given, like, like that's part of the found, like if you're mm -hmm. baking a cake, that's basically yeah. the foundation <laughs> of it, right? <laughs> it's the so flour. That's, it's already, it's already baked into it. So beyond that, what else explains this idea that these people who suffer from microcephaly are Aztecs, right? Yeah. Like, 
of all the the different names to come is it is it be uh, i mean going back to your question about why ishimaya like where where's where does that word come from is that mm-hmm. an actual place do we know no right i mean i've never come across that term before Mm-mm. but then again i'm not well versed in all my uh um geo place names to say no it didn't, didn't exist right so it could have but to me it seems like it's a it's a made up word now the question would be um going back to the 19th century around when did the first archaeologists begin to uh discover the 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 archaeological sites that show uh or was it only in the codices that show how the maya used to uh basically um reshape their heads using mm-hmm. boards right mm-hmm. i mean is that the connection here between microcephaly and and I think so, associating them with, with maya but instead of calling them mayas you go they with the word Aztec because yeah. Aztec is what everyone knew because that was kind of like the, the catch-all uh, the catch-all term for Mexican Indian, yeah. essentially. Whatever yeah, you were, Aztecs. whether you were Maya, Yaqui, whatever the case may be, to an American, you were all Aztecs. Kind of like eventually, you know, all brown people were were Mexican yeah. eventually, yeah. right? That's kind of like the same idea. So is that what's going on here? Do, do yes. we know when the first... Uh, uh, ev- uh, does it go back to the codices? Like how how far back do we know that that Europeans were were had had noticed this this um, this aesthetic within the Maya certain so Maya? They had already been they had already seen um, uh, murals and engravings that depict okay. you know. That so by book. the time that the Ma- Maximum Bartola. Uh, are alive and are being they had already exhibited. That. Yeah. that was already part of the conversation. Yeah. In fact, they even, so in that pamphlet that we talk about that has yeah. a long ass name. Right. I, I found, um, I found it online. Like somebody had scanned it and, oh, yeah. and, and put it online. Okay. And there's uh, images of the Stella, you know, the Maya Stella mm-hmm. uh, in there to, to show like, see, they look like this. So they uh-huh. must be these people. And it's all part of this elaborate. It's really poorly written, hmm. by the way. Like, it's a slog. It's only forty-eight pages, and my God, it feels like the longest forty-eight pages you'll ever read in your life. <laughs> it's a slog yeah. to get through this thing, and I'll send it to you if you want. Yeah, so, please do. It's 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 interesting. I'll just I'll just put it that so way. that I mean that might explain a little bit like why Aguirre chose to call them Aztec instead of Maya. Mm-hmm. Or instead of just saying, you know, these people, because I mean, where were they from again? Uh, it's, they were purported to have been from Chiapas, but well, but yeah, where were the they actually from? They right? were actually from um, uh, San Salvador. San Salvador, right? Yeah. So it's not even they're not even like in within the bounds of what is traditionally Me- Mexico. Yeah, like they're further south, right? Yeah. Um, and so, because most Americans at the time probably wouldn't, I mean, you might have known of San Salvador, but not really. Yeah. Right? And, and, you know, you're probably not making that distinction anyway. Exactly. Hmm. I don't know. That's always been something that's, that's, um, that's really stuck with me. Like when I first learned of Maximum Bartolo, like why Aztec of, of all the different names to come up with, like, why, and the reasoning you know what? What is that reason reasoning to to equate microcephaly with with Aztecs? Mm-hmm. And I think it has to do with that association, the proximity of of the Maya. Because you know, 
even to this day, people people who should know better, right, conflate the Aztec and the Maya all the yeah, time. All the time with the temples and the iconography, the calendar, and the calendar. You know, it's always so. It's been going on for since the beginning, since since Europeans started, you know, doing research and investigating and and being interested in things related to the Maya and the Aztec. That conflation has always existed, and and this is a clear example of it, right? But then again, so so we have that conflation. We have the 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 equation of the the microcephaly with the Aztec. Why would these people today, knowing what they know, <laughs> want to claim that they descend from people who are microcephalic? Yeah. I've, what is the reasoning behind that? I don't think they thought that far ahead, man. <laughs> I mean, even if it were true, right? Let's let's for the sake of argument, let's say that it's true that Maximum Bartolo were the last Aztecs and they were microcephalic because for whatever reason in this strange bizarro universe that these people have constructed the Aztecs were all microcephalic right why and now the, and, and, and now the aboriginalists are claiming to be descended right. from them. these are the people that the abor- <laughs> aboriginalists claim to descend from I mean not that I'm trying to put down microcephalic people yeah, but yeah, do you yeah. get what I'm saying like that that's I, I an odd that's a very odd choice to Yeah, it's interesting that for them to make that choice. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know. Um but I I do know however for for uh, you know certitude with absolute certitude they really don't like being told. <laughs> <laughs> the the actual story of Maximo and Bartolo. Well, of course not. The aboriginalists yeah. did. It's like people who are uh, Bible thumpers don't actually like to be told what's in the Bible. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're afraid of the truth, man. And what is it about that truth? Well, the truth, my friend, it's like medicine. It doesn't always taste good, but it's always good for you. Diboitase. Partola. <laughs> we didn't lie to you, folks. We told you we had living, breathing monstrosities. You laughed at them, shuddered at them, and yet, but for the accident of birth, you might be even as they are. They did not ask to be brought into the world, but into the world they came. Their code is a law unto themselves. Offend one, and you offend them all. And now, folks, if you'll just step this way, you are about to witness the most amazing, the most astounding living monstrosity of all time. Thank you for listening to Tales from Astlantis, a project of the Chimali Institute of Mesoamerican Arts. If you enjoy the show, please consider becoming a Patreon supporter. You can do this by visiting talesfromastlantis.com and clicking support the podcast. 
Your continued support will help keep the podcast ad-free and independent. Until next time, Timo Itase.